The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is a show that champions entrepreneurs, no matter where you are in the world, and no matter what sort of business you're in, and whether you're a startup or whether you've been going for 40 years, if you're an entrepreneur, we love you. We want to thank everybody that's listening into us for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. We're very proud of that. You know, it's very difficult to be an entrepreneur. You know, whether you're a technology startup or just bought a dry cleaning business or whether you have been in business for 40 years, with the failure rate of startups being around 98%, we're always searching for what it is that makes entrepreneurs successful. Is it the ability to innovate? Is that what makes you successful? It certainly helps, I think, but most startups are refinements of existing business models and frequently the most innovative are the first to fail. So I don't think it's necessarily being innovative that's the key to success. And most entrepreneurs who come to me for advice frequently say, well, it's impossible to be successful without capital. And I think everybody probably agree that it's certainly easier to be successful if you've got capital. But there are literally thousands of startups who have bootstrapped it all the way and have become giant successes. Half the Fortune 500s started with almost no money. And there's also been a hell of a lot that have had a lot of money that have failed. So I don't think money is the key either. And we know that most entrepreneurs that fail don't have management skills. They're great at creating stuff, but they're not very good at managing it or growing a business. And that's a real skill on its own. So based on my experience, I'd suggest that Lack of management skills is a major contributor to failure of most businesses, not just entrepreneurs. But the one characteristic that all entrepreneurs do have is guts, although many seem to have a combination of guts and stupidity. But it really does take balls to go out there on your own, to forsake that steady wage every week in order to be your own boss and to make your own stamp on the world, that's hard. It takes guts to put your relationships under strain, to face failure every day. It takes guts to make your dreams a reality. And it takes guts to hand over the reins of your business, your baby, to an expert 
when your business gets to the size when it just isn't your baby anymore. So one of the great things about entrepreneurs is that they're prepared to stand up and be counted. I really like that. It's a great trait. So entrepreneurs, pat yourselves on the back and continue to help make this world a better place. Having said that, I never cease to be amazed by the number of idiot entrepreneurs who don't do their homework, who don't research the market, who don't hire experienced experts, who tell me that their harebrained idea is the next billion-dollar enterprise. The real entrepreneur, I reckon, is a pragmatic visionary, not just a person that's blinded by their own ego. I just got a, uh, an email this morning that announced that Apple on Monday announced that the iTunes store eclipsed one billion podcast subscriptions. One billion. That's a thousand million. That's a lot. Apple says that these billion subscriptions are spread across 250,000 unique podcasts in more than 100 languages, and that more than 8 million episodes have been published in the iTunes store to date. Now, whether you're an Apple fan or whether you're not, that is one big wow. That's a hell of an achievement. So congratulations to Apple. One billion iTunes podcast subscriptions and probably just getting started. And there are many great gadgets available today, and there's new ones coming out every minute of every day, so it's bloody well impossible to keep up. But one place you can keep up, or relatively, is on a plane. When you're sitting there, you've done the emails and done the spreadsheets you want to do, and you're sitting there wondering what you're going to do next. You've watched all the movies because you fly a lot, so you read the in-flight magazines. Okay, so by the time they reach the in-flight magazines, they've probably been out for a year already. But this week, coming back from Singapore, I had a chance to read the Etihad publication. I found some pretty cool stuff. One thing that caught my eye was the Merlin, which is an iPhone 5 camera lens kit. It fits on your phone, enables you to shoot close-ups, provides you with fisheye, wide-angle and telephoto lenses, enabling your humble iPhone 5 to compete with full-featured digital cameras. And it's only about 50 bucks. So I thought that was really cool. I also found the Kyutech pen, which is an elegant-looking ballpoint pen, which has a mini camera and a microphone. That's not so cool. But you can take photos and three hours of videos with your pen and capture sound. But wait, there's more. It's also a four gigabyte USB stick. So you simply plug it into your computer and watch it. How easy is that? And this great gadget's less than a hundred bucks. I've got to have one of those. And finally, I found a must for my son that I can actually play with and get away with. It's the Akita Black Eagle 2 state-of-the-art helicopter that I can fly using my smartphone as the remote control. 
You simply plug the receiver into your phone, download the free controller, and you are ready to fly. It also has a remote-controlled frontal light so that you can fly it at night. This Black Eagle 2 is also less than 100 bucks. That is another must-have gadget for me. So it shows how simple my mind is. Speaking of remote control, have you caught up with the unmanned drones that Domino in the UK have been experimenting with to deliver pizzas? <laughs> Called the Domicopter, it is certainly an innovative way to deliver pizza. The Domicopter can fly across rooftops and parks and whiz down streets. It's like a miniature Superman. And it doesn't have to worry about pesky traffic lights and traffic and cross signs and all that stuff. So you'd be guaranteed to get your pizza nice and hot and quickly. But, of course, like with anything, there is a problem. The people that police... I'll try that again. The people that police such things are not the least bit happy about these space-age delivery boys. They are worried about things like privacy. Now, this sounds pretty stupid to me because while it's unlikely that Domino's will use their drones to perv on the local wildlife, it won't be long before horny youth, youths all over the world will have their own camera-mounted drones out on the prowl. Great initiative, Domino's. I wish you well with it. That is being entrepreneurial. Now, if you're anything like me, you receive about 400 emails a day, every day. That's about 150,000 emails a year. 150,000 of those bloody things. If you spent five minutes reading each email, it'd take you four years working full-time to read them. Even if you spent one minute, it's going to take you a year doing nothing else but answering emails. And that just ain't going to happen. So you probably do what I do. If the subject line doesn't grab you, then you kill the email. So have you ever thought just how many of your emails get killed before anybody bothers to read them? So one of the articles that caught my eye this week was by Anaz Nanji, who published an article called The Most and Least Effective Keywords in Email Subject Lines. This study reviewed over 2 billion global emails. <laughs> That's what you call a pretty good sample, isn't it? It seems that emails with the word alert in the subject line have got a 38% higher than average open rate. That's good. Free delivery has a 51% higher open rate. And bulletin in the subject line, has a 16% higher open rate. On the other hand, if you use report, your open rate declines 24%. And learn sends your open rate plunging 36%. That amazes me. I guess we just don't want to learn. (laughs) Using the word newsletter in your subject line doesn't have any effect at all. And while daily and weekly 
cause open rates to con- increase considerably. The word monthly, well, that's a kiss of death. Using the words alert and news in your sublic- subject line also inspires people to open your email. So you need to use alert, free delivery, bulletin, daily and weekly. They're the ones to use. Now, with business-to-business emails, the word alert and breaking both increase the email opening rate by more than 35%, while words such as reports, forecasts, and intelligence sent opening rates through the floor. So I guess we don't want any reports. We don't want to know what the hell's happening in the future, and we sure as hell don't want to be intelligent. So in contrast to the consumer-to-consumer emails where the word newsletter had no effect, in business-to-business emails, the word newsletter sent readership plunging. In business-to-consumer emails, review, video, update, and limited sent readership soaring, while discount, last chance, and trial guaranteed your email is not going to be read. It's interesting, isn't it, that um, business to consumer don't open discount, last chance, or trial. Who go to figure? So if you're trying to sell people stuff by email, free delivery, sale, and specifying a specific discount, i.e. fifty percent off, really does work. While sale, buy now, and cheap don't work. So I don't know about you, but I'm certainly going to be much more careful in how I compose the subject lines in my emails. And if you'd like a copy of this report, send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com and we will be pleased to get it off to you. Don't forget to include your address, your email address. It's, in the, it's on the email you send me, isn't it? Of course. Don't forget, this program's all about you, the entrepreneur or the small business person that's looking for tips on how to be more successful. I just gave you a few of them. That's what we are here for. This whole show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. So if you have a question, don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it either on air or email you directly. Now, in the Singapore Business Review last week, they had an article by Richard Branson who said that it is absolutely critical to use social media to interact with your customers, to market new products, and to maintain your brand's image. Branson said social media has proven to be an amazing tool for reaching their customers, and as well as the public in general, as it provides a real-time view on how they can improve. By having their business businesses use blogs and Twitter feeds, they can literally reach millions of people instantly. You might recall just recently, um, the British government took the rail line business that um, Virgin had and gave it to a rival company. Branson was able to gather more than 160,000 signatures on a petition in just one week. And he recommends that the easiest way to start is to set up a helpline so that customers can ask questions about your product or your service. 
So if you listen and you respond thoughtfully, Branson says you'll be on your way. He says, remember to be authentic, authentic, and answer questions in a straightforward manner. Have fun rather than doing a job and you will be successful. So you're listening to the number one radio show in the world for entrepreneurs, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, while audiences are great right across America, the major markets in this for this program in the U.S. are California, Texas, Illinois, Nevada, and Louisiana. Why? I have no idea. Although I do like gumbo. I don't know whether that counts. While 85% of our listening audience is bang, based in the U.S., we do have listeners right across the globe. So no matter where you are in the world, we thank you very much for listening. My guest after the break is Sheila Murray-Bethel who's renowned for providing real-world solutions to real-world issues. She's worked on special projects with four U.S. presidents, including the Bush White House, as well as governors, members of Congress, the Justice Department, and the military. She also walks the walk, having built three successful companies in the fields of healthcare, training and development, and financial services. This is Bob Pritchard. And I will be back with you in just a moment or two. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Well, this is the segment of the show where we speak to people who have achieved extraordinary things, people who are making a real difference to this world of ours. I don't think too many people would disagree that the difference between a company that is not successful and one that is hugely successful is the quality of its leadership, how it adapts to change, and its level of exceptional customer service. Today on the show, we're fortunate to have Sheila Murray-Bethel, who's an expert on all three of these qualities that every 
companies aspires to achieve, but very few do. Sheila's got an extraordinary track record, having spoken to over 2 million company executives in over 20 countries in 3,000 presentations. That is a lot. I've done about 1,500 and I thought I was doing well. 3,000 is amazing. Sheila's renowned for providing real-world solutions for real-world issues. But she doesn't only talk, she walks the walk. Having built three successful companies in the fields of healthcare, training and development and financial services. She's published five books and has been featured in newspapers and magazines right across the world. She's worked on special projects with four US presidents, including working with the Bush White House in 1990. She has also worked with governors, members of Congress, the Justice Department and the military. Sheila Murray Bethel really knows what it takes to make a company successful in this very rapidly changing environment and I'm pleased to have Sheila on the show with me today. Sheila, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. It's great to speak with you. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. How are you? I am terrific. This I know it's morning in Sydney. It is morning in Sydney. I can't <laughs> wait to, I can't wait to get back to LA. It's winter here, so I can't wait to get I can't wait to get back home. Um, I believe that you've got Six questions that you suggest leaders ask themselves every day. What are those questions? Well, they're based around the idea that as a leader, you have to, to be successful, you have to be a servant leader. And that means that you actually serve your people and your customers with equal care. And it is not just a top-down giving orders. So uh, in, in books I've written and in presentations, I will challenge leaders to take a look at the three questions. And one is, um, I'll just run through them very quickly. Uh, what message is my example sending today? And we can go back and you can ask me about these as we go. Sure. So messages, what's, what's my example? Then what can I do today to help my people change? That's critical. Who will I praise today? What will I do today to build trust? And then what words will I use to give hope in a world that really needs it? And then how will I set an example of humility today? So those are the six questions I always ask everybody, and and it's, there's not a one answer fits all. Each person, each organization has to find the answers that work best for them. But I have a little philosophy, Bob, and it is that I think that good questions are better than a million answers because when you have a good question, you will then find the answer that works for you personally. Which of those six is the most important? Uh, the first one, what example am I sending today? What is my message sending in the example that I set today? Because the, the most important thing about leadership is the example that you set because it encompasses everything. It encompasses everything. Right. Uh, your ethics, your morals, your values, your leadership style, whether you're a servant leader or not, what you care about in life. Is it just about money, power, and, and success and ego? Is it about building a company, helping people, helping organizations, helping communities, countries, civilization? I mean, leading by example is, by the way, it's the only way we lead. Right. Of all the traits that a great leader has to have. What's the most important? Is it sort of the brutal efficiency of a Welsh or a Dunlap or is it the Messiah-like quality of a Jobs or 
Is it the ability to inspire like an Obama? Which, which of those is important? Because very few people have all three. In fact, I can't think of any. Oh, yeah, they don't. It's, it's rare that they do. But I think that um, when you talk about jobs, I put him... The people treat him like a messiah, but when you would ask him, he would say that the most important thing is to have inspiration, and Obama is an inspirational speaker. And we have had many other leaders through history. You know, we just celebrated uh, Nelson Mandela's 95th birthday. Yeah. And if, if there's nothing else, in his whole life that you would say, in this incredible man's life, it was inspiration. But so was Mahatma Gandhi, so was Mother Teresa, so was Winston Churchill during the Second World War. Sure. So I think that, I think that if we inspire people, what we do, because you see, Bob, I can't motivate you and you can't motivate me. It's internal. But we can inspire each other to become motivated to do better, be better, help other people to make a difference. Right. Well, one of my favorite sayings is um, the only way to change people is to change people. <laughs> so that if, um, if you've got people that have a certain attitude to work or whatever, if you think you're going to change them, you're probably sadly mistaken um, that um, the only way to change them is to replace them with somebody else. Is that not true? I don't agree with that. Uh-uh. Uh, not everybody has the luxury of replacing people. Sure. And think about it. It costs you 11 times more money to hire somebody new than to train and upgrade someone that you have. I think that, no, I can't change you and you can't change me. However, a real leader can communicate a mission, an image, a sense of hope about what's going to happen, about the benefit to the person. When you as a leader can give people a personal benefit, in other words, if you're my boss, and I'm not very good at changing, and I'm kind of stuck in a rut, but you can put on your salesman's hat and give me enough personal benefits is why it would be good for me to make an adjustment, to look at it differently, to change you are more likely to win me over than if you just tell me you have to do that. I may do it because I want to keep my job, but I do think that a real leader, not a dictator, not just someone who manages, but someone who leads, because remember, when you inspire people to look at something differently and you to look at themselves differently, to see themselves better than they are, bigger than they are, that's what everybody in the world wants to do, Bob. They want to feel good about themselves. They want to know that they have talent and ability. And when you in the, as a leader say, yes, I know this is hard for you to change. I know you don't like change, but let me give you some ideas of why it's to your personal benefit to go through this change. And I've never found any corporate issue that I've worked with, any organizational government issue, whatever, when working with uh, companies and, and organizations that couldn't take, with a little help and a little teaching how to do it, to take any change they're going through and turn it into a personal benefit for the employees. Yeah, that- and when you do that, they will rethink. Will they change overnight? No. Will they change totally? No. But you, they might 
do different than you would expect. Don't you think that there's a natural resistance among, seems like 99%, but I'm sure it's not that high, of people to resist change? And Oh, I think it's 99.99%. <laughs> yeah, you and I are the two exceptions, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you something very interesting. I've done a lot of research because I have a PhD in psychology, yeah. and I've done a lot of research, and... At some level, even the people that are the most open to change, those people that seem to be kind of nutsy, crazy, and will jump right into the fray and are not afraid, and boy, off they go to something new. But at some level, about something, they will resist change to their very last breath. There is no human being on earth that is open to change about everything that goes on in their life. Most people resist change at some point at some time. And you know what this has to do with leadership? A good leader will know where his or her people's resistance level is to change. Yeah, that's interesting because we often have a lot of, um, in fact, I went to a a, um, presentation a few weeks ago um, by a fellow who's renowned worldwide for being innovative. And he was saying that um, the quickest way to kill little innovation is to give it to a major company because the resistance to change is just so strong that no matter what it is, it will die. Well, yeah, I think that's true. But on there's on the on the positive side of that too, big organizations don't become big for a long time unless they have a pretty strong culture to withstand the winds of change. And so it is hard to get them to change. That doesn't mean they shouldn't change, but I I understand what he was saying because most innovative companies are either lean and, and I don't say mean, I don't like that word, lean and mean. That has a very bad connotation. They are either lean and highly effective either in their mentality or in their workforce. And they have flexibility, too, They're small business. Well, yeah, you know, that's what Apple had with jobs. They very flexible. Switch, move, change, boom, boom, boom. So you can look around at companies all over the world who are highly flexible, and yeah. ideas may not get lost within them. And they're able to pivot very quickly. Um, do you think – I was, again um, – I was um, listening to a presentation by, from the guys at Singularity University a couple of weeks ago, and they were saying that um, we're only about 1% into the technology revolution, that there's 99% still to go, which scares the hell out of me because I have trouble keeping up. <laughs> but, um, and they say all that's going to happen in the next 15 years, that the change that we've seen so far, we ain't seen nothing yet. Do you think that today's leaders... Uh, have the ability to be able to adjust, particularly with with larger companies, have the ability to be able to change and inspire their people to be able to keep up with this technology change? Yes, I think, though, the, the best leader in any company, big or small, doesn't matter, I think the best leader has the ability, though, to filter through all the technology change because, just because the technology changes and people say, oh, this is new, doesn't mean it's good, doesn't mean sure. it works, doesn't mean it's got any value at all. Because the world of technology is into change just for change's sake. 
That's the mentality of the technology world. And so they throw all this stuff against the wall, see what sticks, stuff that doesn't stick falls to the ground and disappears, and then then the stuff that sticks, they work with that. But that's that's the environment in which they work. So a good leader will say, okay, we've got these five major technological changes. What will they do for us? How will we use them? Should we use them? How fast should we use them? How much of our resources should we put into it? Because, you know, nobody has yet come up with a formula and a track record that says all the social networking in the world earns you five cents. They haven't proved it yet. I don't know about that. I I was reading an article last night by um, Sir Richard Branson who said that... um, Social media. He credits social media with um, uh, the success he's had in most of his businesses. He says that um, it has enabled him to keep in touch with people uh, when they took the um, uh, Virgin Rail um, license off him in England. That he was able to get 160,000 signatures to. The yeah, House I know he pub, did. Etc. Yeah, I was there. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's that's using social media to. Make well, yes. That's fine, and that's very recent. He didn't have social media when he started in business. And I'm not saying that social media isn't good for establishing relationships. It is. And social media has changed the world. I mean, look at all the revolutions. I mean, so that's not a negative. But that's something that most companies around the world are saying, what is this? going to really do for us how much time how much people how much resources should we throw at this just to see if it works because they nobody's proven it yet that doesn't mean that social media doesn't take you in a lot of places you've never gone yeah but i say but i still say my feedback from organizations i work with say we haven't yet figured it out we don't know so you know when you look at when you talk about the uh, technology changes to come a good leader will filter will decide how much time and resources and energy they want to put into whatever the new Whatever it is, you know, is. yeah, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever the new, whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know what to call most of it either. Um, there's probably never been a time in history where there's been such a huge difference between the attitudes, the beliefs, the work ethic, the technology skills of say, and I'm just picking an age here, but so, let's say the under 35s and the over 35s. I don't think there's ever been such a huge gap um, no and this this affects every element of business life and particularly the way we communicate or a leader communicates internally and externally so in view of it is it harder to be a leader today than it was in years past well the answer is is twofold yes it is and no it's not let me talk to you about the yes first <laughs> yes because you have to be very adept at managing all the different age groups, all the ethnicities, all the educational levels, all the social issues. So you have to have a very strong person or team that will help you manage your diversity, diversity of all those things. Right. And you have to really get to know your people so you understand where they're coming from and then you can build what they, some of the things that they all need around their skills and abilities. 
Now, the no, it's not because human beings have not changed in the last thousand years. We want to be appreciated. We want to be challenged. We want to know that we make a difference. We want to be paid commensurate with our skills and talents. We want to respect our bosses, our managers, our supervisors, our leaders. We want to have teammates with, uh, you know, people of like mind and goals and values. So the humanity part of people has not changed. And I work with, <laughs> I work with the millennials. Right. And I'm telling you that those are the biggest challenge, those 20 to 31, 32-year-olds. They are the biggest challenge because of all the things that you talked about. But I guarantee you they are not different than the people I work with that are 50 and older in those humanity factors. Right. So does a, does a good company, a good leader, then need to almost have two types of advisors, one that advises on the over 31s and 32s and, and somebody who understands the under 30 because I think it's very difficult for somebody who's a 50 year old leader for example to really understand what's going on in the head of a 25 year old hotshot that um, you know what I what impresses me about kids today is how bloody smart they are and and how much they know and understand uh, my son is doing a couple of degrees in um, in Washington DC and he and his um, classmates, they are light years ahead of where I was at the same age. They they know more, they understand more, they they are more aggressive, they embrace change easier. So, and for for leaders that are our age, say fifties ish, it's very mm-hmm. must be very difficult to corral them. It is, and the smart organizations, no matter how large or small they are, um, do two things. And I have a group of um, 30 to 35-year-olds that I work with uh, in a network that I have, and these are very smart people. Yeah. And one of the things that I hear that is going on and I see that's working is that the smart organizations will have somebody who understands both ends of the cycle. In fact, there's really three groups. There's the millennials. Yep. There's the 30 to 40 years old. And then there's the 40 to 60, 65 years old. And you have to have a omnisbin, someone who understands those three groups. Maybe it's an HR, but you got to have a contact. I don't mean someone who, for example, spies on that. I'm talking yeah, about sure. someone who really understands that group of people because you talked about the difference. The needs are extremely different. These young millennials, they don't like to take orders. They want to be independent. And on the downside, they think they're going to get an award for showing up. Yeah, they, they also want to have flexible work hours and all the things that, you know. And they're terribly sense. entitled because mummy and daddy didn't want them to have any little problems in life or little challenges. They were never, they didn't, didn't learn to be responsible. They didn't need, learn to be accountable. They didn't understand how to go to work. You turn your cell phone off. You don't surf all day on the net on your employer's time. You don't take in, you know, calls. You don't text. They don't get that. So yeah, you've got to have a, you've got to have a firm hand, and yeah. it's not easy. 
Yeah. But the companies that are working with them well are those that set down barriers. And, you know, this is the way you work and this is the way you don't work. Right. I go on and on on this program about how I believe that the level of success of any business, I don't care what it is, is almost totally dependent on their level of customer service. There's been 10,000 books written about why it's critical to have great customer service, retain customers, get word of mouth, increase ROI, etc. And we hear about it from dozens of sources day in, day out. So why is it so hard for businesses to get the message? Why is there still such lousy customer service in so many areas? Because they give it lip service. They don't live it. They don't mean it. All they're worried about is the dollar or the stock option, stock price on the market or the revenue. You're not going to get exceptional customer service until you have a set of leaders that are servant leaders. And I don't mean being servant, being someone who, you know, wipes up after you. Sure. I'm talking about a, a real servant leader understands that the only way that the whole organization grows is if he or she serves the internal needs of the customers I mean, their internal customers. Their internal customers, yeah. That's right. Serves the needs of their internal customers as much as they do the needs of their external customers. And that is where it all falls apart. It all falls apart. I'm doing some work with my office down in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Right. And we're rolling out a new customer servant leadership program. Because Brazil wants to, you know, is getting ready for the World Cup sure. and for the Olympics and, and all of that. Period ahead. Yep. Very. But there is not, nothing, no other factor more important than the customer service. Because you can make good products and it'll sell for a while if you don't have good self customer service and all of that. But it won't last. It won't last. Absolutely. Now you can even have you can have even have a fair product, but if you have great customer service and those people work to help each other because see customer service isn't about a department it's not a department it's an attitude customer service means sales will work with production sales and marketing work together marketing and and research and development and so everybody has to work together with one single focus and that's the customer in mind when everything isn't focused at the customer then you get silos you get Executives who don't care, all they want is big money, walk away, fill their pockets, and then it becomes lip service. How much of a problem is um, the obsession on quarterly figures so that um, you don't affect your stock price? Hugely terrible. Hugely terrible. Because to have great customer service, you need long-term planning, and yet everything in the corporate cycle is against long-term anything. (laughs) <laughs> well, when, when we went to this quarterly stuff 20, 25 years ago, we really damaged our ability to think, critical thinking, because if you're going to be successful long term, you've really got to be good at critical thinking, and you've got to teach your people critical thinking. Yeah. Ask why, how, what's going on, when. But when you're just running for the buck every quarter, and you have to meet those estimates on the street, on Wall Street, you know, or whatever yeah, yeah. market you're at around the world, Hong Kong or wherever, when you have to do nothing but worry about that, you can't plan long term. Uh, there's a wonderful company, um, just 
you can find them if you want them on the internet and they're clients so I'm not going to mention their name but they're a huge global company and they just said we are no longer going to give quarterly reports great I'm period all, I'm all for that Sheila Murray Bethel it's been great to speak with you I really appreciate it you are so busy and I do appreciate you giving me so much time now if you'd like to find out more about Sheila go to BethelInstitute.com B-E-T-H-E-L Institute.com This is Bob Pritchard and you're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and I'll be back with you in just a moment. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking no bullshit business show that's coming to you on the Voice America Business Network and heard all around the world every week at the same time. Now, this is a segment of the show where we bring you emails from our listeners from across the globe. And this week's first email comes from Terry Donovan from San Diego in California. And Terry's email says, Bob, thanks for a great show. We really enjoy it. And love your sense of humor. I've just bought Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets through Amazon, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I looked at your website, and I noticed that you're a speaker and have made over 1,500 speeches. I have just begun speaking, and I've only done about 10, and as yet, I'm not getting paid for them. Do you have any tips on how I can improve my presentation skills and start getting paid? Well... You're doing the right thing. You've got to keep on getting out there and keep honing those skills and you eventually get to a point where people want to pay you and the demand gets such that you do get paid. had a good week this week. I picked up work in Dubai and in India in the next couple of months. So that's good. So Terry, you know, I thoroughly enjoy speaking. It's great fun. And you learn a hell of a lot. I, I custom write every speech, and this is something I recommend you do. Custom write every speech 
specifically to meet the client's exact requirements and whatever you want to find out from them what they want your takeout message to be and write towards that. It involves a lot of research, which is a pain in the butt, but it's a great learning tool. And the audience really appreciates the work that you put into your presentation and it pays off. You know, I find speakers that just go out and give a generic presentation don't have anywhere near the impact with an audience that somebody who does their homework does. But the most important thing is to get out there, really enjoy it, interact with your audience and make sure that everybody not only learns something but also has a lot of fun. Now, when you structure your presentation, make sure that you've got a start, a middle and an end. So at the start, you set out and you tell people what you're setting out to achieve and what you're going to talk about. Then you tell your story and at the end, you wrap it up, tell them what you're going to tell them and recap. And that makes the whole presentation flow very naturally. You also should ensure that you use as much of the stage as possible and go down into the audience to make points, um, modulate your voice to draw people in, to express emotion and to get your message across. I was lucky because I had 15 years as a performer um, back <laughs> too long ago to remember and uh, that really teaches you how to use the stage. So I think that's a big benefit. There are also a number of things that you should not do. Firstly, don't use what are called filler words. These are words that are, you know, they're totally unnecessary to make the points you're trying to make and or that you subconsciously repeat frequently. They can be, these can be words like um <laughs> or like, so, and there's lots and lots of them. And I'm sure you've listened to speakers where they have a word or a phrase that they use over and over and over and over again, and it drives you stir-crazy. I find the same with some mannerisms and gestures that I have. Um, the best way to, to spot these, of course, is to watch yourself giving a presentation. So record it, watch yourself giving a presentation, and pick out those bloody annoying words because if they annoy you, they're going to annoy the audience. And the other thing that I do is that if you play your presentation on fast forward, you'll notice your gestures. You know, they, they, they happen much quicker and you get to see what's repetitive and what you need to change. And, uh, but you've got to record your presentation first. You should do that anyway so that you can learn. Your slide deck, that should be an addition to your presentation. You should use it to highlight points. Don't use it as a crutch. I know I've seen so many speakers who almost use the, um, their slides as a script. And uh, remember that Steve Jobs, who was one of the great presenters of our time, said that the maximum number of words on a slide should be one. <laughs> I mean, he was an absolute master of using a word or two words and a phenomenal graphic to get across whatever message he was communicating. And I'm not suggesting that you can cut your slides down as much as he did. I certainly can't, but I do suggest that you minimise it as much as you can. Don't ever point to your slides and don't ever read them to your audience. When you do put up a slide, leave them in there long enough so that the audience 
can read them themselves and give them time to do that and include only the very key points to reinforce what you're trying to say through the whole presentation. The other thing is to don't give the audience too much information or try to get across a whole bunch of points. You know, in in any presentation, what you're trying to do is get people to try and remember maybe two points out of your whole presentation. So you need to have two big ideas, and the more points you try to get across, the less chance people have got got of remembering any of them. Always try to weave your major points into a story or an anecdote or even a joke. Although you've got to be careful with jokes because jokes can fall flat more often than not. Trust me. And uh, so if you if you put them in a message like that, then it does cut through. I, I've got people that I run into years later come up and say, I'm still telling that story that you told. And uh, that's great because the message continues to get through. Also, make sure you never apologise for missing something in your presentation or if something goes wrong. First of all, the audience doesn't know whether you've left something out or not. And if you make a spelling mistake on a slide, don't point it out. Most people can't spell for shit. So they won't notice. They're only going to notice if you point it out. And as soon as you point it out, then, of course, everybody notices. So stay away from that. Make sure that when you make a very strong point that you allow silence to enable that point to really sink in. It's the same here in the studio doing a radio program. There's a tendency to want to talk constantly because any sort of a pause sounds like an eternity to me. Even though it might only be a couple of seconds. It just seems like forever. So you need pauses to enable the audience to take in the information that you're giving them. But the most important thing, Terry, is to make sure that you've listened very carefully to the brief, that you've researched your subject, that you know the issues that will impact their business or their industry, and you pose thoughtful questions that will get them to think about the way they do business. It's not about being the smoothest speaker on the block. It's about being the most insightful. Terry, since you've already bought a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competition, and I thank you very much, we'll send you out a copy of Marketing Magic, a book I wrote, I don't know, three years ago, I suppose, with Brian Tracy, John, Joe, uh, Jay Conrad Levinson, and a bunch of others. I think you'll find it a great read, and it'll give you perspectives on how to deliver great marketing from a wide range of perspectives. We'll send that out to you tomorrow. Each week, we try to bring you emails from listeners around the world. So my second email today comes from Genevieve Miller from Melbourne, Australia. Genevieve's email ties in really well to the topic in the first segment, where I discuss the keywords to increase the opening rate of your emails. Now, I'm probably not going to have time to get right the way through this, but we'll do what we can. Genevieve writes, it's great to hear an Australian voice on an American radio network. Congratulations. Thank you. We send out a lot of emails to market our services, and I wonder if you can give me some pointers on how to get more people to read our emails. Well, Genevieve, I'm sure you caught the first segment, so let me just add a couple more suggestions. The first one is to keep your subject line short 
and keep it to one powerful point. It needs to be timely and it needs to be pertinent. A good guide just simply ask yourself the question, would I open this if this was sent to me? And don't forget that many e- email programs now show only the subject line when viewed on a smartphone, so you may want to include your company name. If possible, pers- personalise the subject line by including the recipient's first name and any other information that pertains directly to them. This shows that you're concerned for their interests and establishes an element of trust. You need to make the email sound important, but not like a sales pitch. Make your product or service sound limited, and that is often a strong incentive for somebody to open your email. You've got to avoid typical spam words, because spam filters will immediately prevent it from being read. So avoid words like free or act now. Just try to use ordinary everyday language. You can also experiment with various email send times. Particularly with smartphones, people will answer their emails early mornings or perhaps early evenings after they leave work. So try some different times and perhaps even compare weekdays with weekends. You are likely to get different results with different industries. And don't bombard your audience with incessant messages or offers. People will soon get very sick and tired of it if they're constantly getting sales messages messages from you. Having said that, don't ignore them either because that doesn't work. Genevieve, a copy of Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, How to Blitz Your Competitors, which is my latest book. It's on its way to you and I'm sure that it'll be of great benefit to you and your business. If you're a regular listener to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends, get them to listen, go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which is just starting to come out this week. Send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're very pleased to have been bringing you this show now since 2011. It's a heap of fun. We enjoy doing it. And I'll be with you at the same time next week, no matter where in the world you are, to address the critical issues that affect small businesses everywhere. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard on Voice America Business, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life. We'll be right back.